Chapter 29, Genesis chapter 29. <clears throat> We're going to talk about Jacob's marriage today, or rather Jacob's marriages, right? Because it didn't exactly work out the way he planned uh, for it to work out. And <clears throat> we need to look at this topic from time to time. It's a huge topic in our lives, this idea of marriage and, <clears throat> and um, the whole idea of choosing a spouse. And many of you here are, are, are <clears throat> I suppose, looking uh, to be married and looking to a spouse. Many of you are married. Some of you um, <clears throat> are on the other end of marriage. You know, <clears throat> there, there are, all of us are involved in some way as far as marriage is concerned, right? <clears throat> and Jacob's marriage well, it's not the example you want to follow, okay? <clears throat> you understand that? You don't want to marry two women. You don't want to, uh, that, that, that's not what you want to do. It does serve to teach us some uh, helpful lessons uh, regarding marriage. <clears throat> and the choice of a life partner is one of the most important that we make. And in, in some cases, uh, it reaches far into our lives, and, but even beyond that, it has eternal ramifications. The person that we choose uh, has an effect upon us uh, eternally. Uh, and although the feelings of love can be very important, marriage is much too important an issue to be based upon feeling alone. Uh, for Jacob, his love for Rachel, if not first love, uh, it was very soon after that. <clears throat> if not love at first sight, it was very soon after that. And he was willing to pay any price for it. And uh, <clears throat> we, we see in that marriage relationship there, we see something pretty good. Uh, but the whole picture uh, is pretty bad. But let's look at it. Let's, let's ask the Lord to bless, and then we'll read through uh, the passage. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word? Would you help us, Lord? Uh, would you take our hearts and lead us into your best for each one in this room? And Lord, I pray that we'd be open to you, Lord, that we not have our own set and fixed plan, Lord, that we'd not be uh, as, <clears throat> as the horse that won't go in the right direction and needs the bit put in their mouth. Lord, would you bless us? Would you help each one, Lord, to, to be obedient to you? And help us to learn the principles that uh, make it good and make it right and make it proper. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? Uh, then they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. All right, this is the first introduction of Jacob and Rachel. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then uh, we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, that the sheep of Laban, <coughs> with the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that she was Rebe he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into this house. And he told Laban all these things. 
And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall, be thy, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, the younger daughter. And Laban said, It is well that I should give her to thee, that I, uh, than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zip, Zip, Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, That's, uh, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet another, uh, yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah's handmaid to be her maid, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. <clears throat> All right, let's, let's pause there. Let's stop there. What well, we have a situation here now. You'll, you'll remember the situation that... Um, <clears throat> That um, Jacob's mother and father, seeing Esau had married of the daughters of Heth, and that they were just just uh, a, a, a problem to Rebekah, she said, listen, send him to my people to get a wife, that he doesn't get a wife here, because that's just going to make our lives miserable. So he goes uh, to his uncle Laban, and at the well's mouth he meets Rachel, Laban's daughter, and instantly he's interested, and within a month he's prepared to, sp to work for seven years for Rachel's hand. All right, but Jacob is a trickster. Uh, and um, he's always tricking people. He's tricked his brother now uh, out of his birthright, and he's tricked him out of the blessing. And now he comes to, <clears throat> to um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Laban, and Laban's a trickster too. So on the night of the marriage, after spending his seven years, he finds out that it's Leah he's been given and not Rachel. And he's quite upset about it. I want you to know, by the way, uh, it's just a side note, there's no, call, there's no uh, <clears throat> question of him giving her back. That's not he's come, coming and saying, listen, this, this didn't work out. She's not the one I, I worked for. Uh, he recognizes and everybody recognizes in the situation he's now married to her and that's it. You see, marriage is pretty final. Marriage is a pretty important step, and it's pretty final, and we need to understand that. Our day and age may have switched it around to the place where it's not final, and it's for as long as it lasts, and it's on two people are no longer in, until two people are no longer in love. But biblically, and before God, marriage is a lifetime thing. It's until death us do part. Right? <clears throat> so anyway, he's married to her, and he serves another seven years for Rachel. Uh, but now, he's going to bring all kinds of trouble into his life because this relationship, he has a relationship with Rachel that's sweet and that's good and that's nice, but <clears throat> Leah is getting left to one side. And God is taking issue with Jacob over this thing. And God is dealing with him because, of <clears throat> because he's being mean uh, to Leah. And he opens Leah's womb, but Rachel's not having any babies. 
And she's not going to have any babies for quite some time because God takes issue with the thing. And I want you to know this, that no matter what your situation, God's aware of it. You know that God's aware of it. No matter how you're being treated, God's actually aware of it. God's aware of all our situations. Nothing happens in our lives apart from God actually knowing and being aware and being involved ultimately in what's going on. Sometimes we think like we're on our own. We're not on our own at all. Our God uh, is involved in it. But obviously a bad situation, really bad situation for Leah. You wouldn't want to put Leah in that situation. You You can't understand why her father would do that to her. You know, where our father would have put her in a position where, uh, obviously, uh, <clears throat> Jacob loved Rachel and he was going to feel cheated the next day. And how was poor Leah going to feel uh, at that point? And she struggles with this. It's a, it's, it's a major issue for Leah, the fact that uh, Jacob loves Rachel and doesn't love her. And it puts between them, puts between these sisters. It, it causes all kinds of problems uh, in their lives. But... <clears throat> Let's focus a little here on the, on, the, on the relationship with Rachel. First of all, it looks as though, you know, within a month, um, Jacob is, uh, is in love with Rachel, and he wants to be married to Rachel, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, he's willing to, to, to work seven years, and he does work seven years. And he, he you know, listen, uh, the relationship between them is pretty distant for those seven years because he's working to actually gain, uh, <clears throat> gain her hand in marriage. So he's willing to do it, and um, that's what he wants. And in the Bible, there are all kinds of ways that, that, that couples come together. There's no one set way in the Bible that couples come together. Remember Isaac, when Isaac was looking for, when Abraham was looking for a bride for Isaac, uh, <clears throat> Abraham sends his servant uh, and he, to Laban, and he says, listen, I want you to go uh, back to my people, and I want you to find a bride for Isaac. Isaac had no say in it. Doesn't that strike you as strange? He had absolutely no say in it at all. Um, <clears throat> Rebecca came. She was presented to him. Uh, she became his wife, and that's just the way it worked. Uh, <clears throat> now, in this case here, what we have is we have uh, Jacob really uh, <clears throat> driving the issue. He's seen somebody. He likes her. And um, <clears throat> this is the person that he wants. Uh, and we can't deny that part of the marriage relationship. Uh, we understand that. Now, <clears throat> F.B. Meyer is helpful on this thing. He's got some real helpful, practical deals as far as marriage is concerned. I'm going to try and help you with them today, right? But he says this. He says, of course, we do not deny that Jacob may find his other, his other self in that beautiful girl at the well with her flocks, and that she may prove to be the one without whom his life would be incomplete. It may so happen through the kind providence of God, which shields us from dangers we do not perceive and loads us with benefits we do not deserve. Nevertheless, uh, it is the highest folly to leave so momentous a matter to be decided by a transient passion or by the charms of a fascinating manner and a pretty face. Do not carry your heart on your sleeve. Do not let your affections trail loosely on the ground to catch in every thorn break. Gird up the loins of your mind. Test the spirits, whether they be of God. Do not take an irrevocable step without earnest prayer that that he would still the voices of self-choice, keep you from making a mistake and reveal to you his will. So what's he saying? He's saying, obviously, uh, Jacob went, he saw this pretty girl, he was just enchanted by her, he fell in love with her, and he wanted to marry her, right? <clears throat> and that's, he's, uh, w- w- what Meyer is saying is, you know, listen, clearly it worked out that this was God's will for him. So uh, it was right. But he says this, he says, don't allow the issues of your life to be dictated just in a transitory emotion, just in something that is as fleeting as that. Don't allow your emotions to trail on the ground. If you're not married here today and you're looking to be married, very easy for you to be in the place where you're on the hunt. 
man or a woman, where you're on the hunt and you're looking out and you're trying to make something happen and you're vulnerable to being drawn into a relationship because somebody's pretty charming, attractive, handsome or whatever and you get drawn into a relationship and it's based upon that and the emotion of the moment becomes a lifetime. He says, don't trail your emotions on the ground. Don't go around hungry and longing uh, for something that may just not be what God wants. The, the, the key issue we're going to see as far as marriage is concerned is God. It's not just, you know, uh, <clears throat> that uh, you find love. Love's a big part of it. It can't be denied. But that's not the, 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 the main issue that you go seeking love and you find love. And once you find love, everything else falls in place. That's not the truth. Lots of people have found love and then found no love and being out of the marriage again because uh, it wasn't very real. What you've got to do is you've got to understand that what you're looking for is something much deeper than that. So don't allow your heart to be carried away easily. If you're that kind of person, you are literally an accident waiting to happen. That's what you are. You're an accident waiting to happen. Guard your heart in this area. Keep it. Keep it so that you're not getting drawn into relationship. You know, listen, you may find somebody that you're attracted to. You may find somebody you're interested in. They may be interested in you. But there's a whole lot more to it than attraction. There's a whole lot more to it just than the fact that, you know, you like the look of somebody or you like somebody's personality. There's there's a, a much deeper side to it. And don't allow it to be dictated by that. If we look at Hollywood today, that's exactly how it's dictated. They saw each other. They fell in love. And they got married. And they lived happily ever after. The only problem is... It doesn't work like happily ever after for them. Uh, it's a story that, 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 that promises something and delivers nothing. You know, it needs not to be like that. It needs not to be that you're looking for somebody, and as soon as you find somebody that's attractive to you, uh, you, you, you go with it. Um, and it's not enough for you to start thinking about this when you find this person you're attracted to. Oh, I better seek the Lord about this. Listen, you need to be seeking the Lord about this from the time you're young. You need to be asking God to protect your heart and to keep your heart and to protect you from getting uh, drawn into something that's not right for you. To protect you from getting scarred and hurt in a relationship that's not the right one for you. Uh, Meyer says this, he says, Let young men, whenever they think of these matters, turn their thoughts onto prayers uh, that God would guide them as he did Abraham's servant to the woman whom he has chosen to be their helpmeet. And let Christian women lay aside all idea of attracting men to themselves. Let them quiet their hearts as wean babies. Uh, let them constitute themselves, uh, consider themselves the wards of God, leaving them to choose, leaving him to choose for them the one who shall give them strength for sweetness, defense for weakness, protection for helplessness, and love for love. Listen, you need God involved in the choice of a marriage partner. In fact, it, it needs not to be that just God's involved. God needs to be the first, the most important part of it. That needs to be the way. You see, your marriage is much more about what God wants than just about what you want. God put the desire to be married in you, uh, but he wants you married for a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a goal in mind as far as the marriage is concerned. And when we take all of the rest out of it and leave it based just upon affection, you know, <clears throat> what we're doing is we're shortchanging ourselves completely. Because it's a whole deal that affects our life and ultimately affects our reward in eternity too because you know, the person that we're married to is going to either limit us or help us uh, in our service for God. And so that you've got to look at the situation as being much bigger than just affection. 
You know, so put that thought out of your mind, the, uh, the, the, the modern thought that it's based just on affection. We love each other, therefore we'll make everything work. No, you won't. Love doesn't make everything work. Do you know that? Love just doesn't make everything work. There are practical realities to life that, you know, that, that love doesn't, doesn't, doesn't fix. Then you need to have a mind to the practical realities. All right? So <clears throat> Meyer does this. He gives what he calls four conditions of a true home. Right? Four conditions of a true home. First of all, marriage must be only in the Lord. Right? If you're looking at being married today and you're saved, you're born again, you can only consider somebody else who's saved, who's born again. That, that's it. You, can, you can't consider anybody else. You know, you may say to yourself, well, I'll get them saved. Well, listen, that's not the way to go about it. That's presuming upon the good graces of God that because you've set your eyes on something, he's going to fall into place and he's going to actually save them. doesn't work that way. You need to understand, first of all, the only people I can look at are those who are in the Lord. Let me give you some verses. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, Second Corinthians chapter 6 is talking about an unequal yoke in a broad sense. But you know what? There's no more uh, greater unequal yoke than there is when you get two people married. One is saved, belonging to the Lord, and the other is not. There's no greater unequal yoke. And you understand what unequal yoke is? A yoke was something that you put two beasts in to, to pull. Now, if you wanted it to pull straight and true, you put two equal beasts in it. You didn't put one big beast and one small beast because the big beast ends up pulling it. You know, the unequal yoke is, listen, it's got to be equal. And by the way, let me say this. It's got to be more than just that they're saved. Now, listen, they've got to be going the same direction as you. You know, there are people that are saved and really going on for God and seeking God's face and really moving ahead for God. And there are people then that are just, you know, happy to drag along. If you're going to marry somebody who's happily, happy to drag along and you really want to go on for God, you're going to find them a hindrance to you. And that's going to create problems in your marriage. There needs to be <clears throat> an equal yoke. And l- let me say that that's a direct command of Scripture. Do you realize that if anybody in this room decides they're going to marry, they're saved, and they're going to marry somebody who's unsaved, they are directly disobeying God. Direct disobedience to God. It's just not something you can do. It's not acceptable. Let me give you some other verses here. First <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Corinthians 7.39 says, The wife uh, is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liber- liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. She can marry who she likes only in the Lord. Um, Amos 3 verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Think about it. Can they walk together through life except they be agreed? No, they can't. And you can say, well, we just won't talk about religion. But you know what? God is the closest thing to your heart if you're his child. You can't commit to a lifetime where you're not going to bring this issue up and this subject up. It's just part of who you are. It's part of where you're going. It has to be in the Lord. You see, Esau had married the idolatrous daughters of Heth, and he brought idolatry and ruin into his home and heartbreak to his parents. And the whole reason for them sending Jacob away was so that Jacob would find a wife in the Lord. 
And, you know, as many problems as Jacob has, that's exactly what he does. Now, he's not without his troubles. Uh, Rachel's not without her problems as far as uh, even idols are concerned. But you know what? <clears throat> At least uh, it's in the Lord in that sense. They're going in the same direction. Uh, <clears throat> Meyer says this, We need not be surprised at the strong and repeated prohibitions. A mixed marriage is a prolific source of misery. In the course of a considerable pastoral experience, I have never known one to result in perfect happiness. Believers in such unions do not level their, uh, level their unbelieving partners up to Christ, but are themselves dragged down to infinite misery and self-reproach. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like unto him, who was beloved of his God, uh, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. How can there be sympathy in the deepest matters? Each feels that there is one subject on which they are not agreed, and this is a fatal barrier to perfect union. Think about it. It's a fatal bar barrier to perfect union because, listen, we're coming out of two totally different camps altogether. Now, you see, the emotion of the moment will make somebody feel it'll work. We'll make it work. The emotion of the moment will draw somebody into it, but the reality is... You've got two people who are shooting from completely different areas altogether, who are looking at life from completely different arenas. You know, uh, people may say, well, listen, I'll get him saved, <clears throat> right? Uh, many a Christian girl has married an unbeliever in the hope of saving him and has bitterly rued her choice. She has seen her influence wane and has learned, though too late, that the Holy Spirit will not cooperate with our efforts if they are based on distinct disobedience to one of the clearest commands of the Bible. He goes on, he's very strong about it. Uh, he must have seen several situations, but he says, if, if, if he threatens to uh, take his life, then let him. He can't actually put you in that position and force you. Uh, and he makes it that big an issue. Listen, uh, let me say, you cannot marry somebody who's unsaved. You just can't. Right? And listen, the, the, the best way to avoid marriage is not to get into the relationship at all. Do you understand that? That when you start a relationship with somebody who's unsaved, what you're doing is you're leading yourself on a pathway that's going to ultimately maybe do you great damage. Because once the emotions kick in, we, we, we tend to lose our reasonableness and we tend to, you know, we, we override all the problems. We can fix it. We'll work it out. We'll make it happen. No, you won't. The differences are too great. And we've got to understand that marriage is not about an emotion that's transitory. It's about two people coming together to forge a life together and to work it out together. It's got to be something uh, that is real and that is, you know, <clears throat> certainly at least based on the fact that both of you are in the Lord. It has got to be based on that reality. Both of you are in the Lord. Right? <clears throat> Secondly, marriage <clears throat> should have the blessing of parents. Now, I realize this is kind of old-fashioned, right? Remember the days when a, when a, when a man went uh, to his uh, fiance, to, to his um, girlfriend's father and he asked him if he could have her hand in marriage, right? <clears throat> he asked him uh, uh, if he would allow her. Well, you know what? That's very reasonable. That's not just something uh, that was set up for no reason. That's basically been the way through time because this is a key relationship that's been formed in your life. You know, when I married Val, I didn't realize it, but you know what? I've been involved with her family ever since. On a weekly basis, I've been involved with her family. Everything that happens in, happens in Val's family, I'm part of. And everything that happens in my family, she's part of. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, listen, what you've got is you just get involved in a family. You can say, well, look, we'll keep them out of our marriage, and you ought to keep uh, <clears throat> extended family out of your marriage. But the reality is there's an interaction that goes on between uh, you and that family. You know, I didn't realize it when Oriel was getting married. Uh, <clears throat> well, not that I didn't realize it, I knew it, but, it, but I wasn't so aware of how important it was that the girl that Mar- Oriel married would actually be the mother of my grandchildren. I suppose not having grandchildren, I had no idea how important they would be. But all of a sudden, it's pretty important. You know, I'm pretty glad that it's Heather. I'm pretty glad for, for Chris because I, I, there's, a, there's a close relationship uh, with family. And, you know, <clears throat> parents are put in your life to, to, to protect you. Did you realize that, that you were put in a family that kids don't do very well on their own? That, you know, <clears throat> as cute as they are, you put a baby on their own and they won't live very long. They get put in a family for protection. They get put in a family. And part of the protection is that, you know, your parents know you. Now, you may not have a great relationship with your parents. You, you, you may be in a place. And by the way, if you don't, I would urge you to do what you can to actually repair that. Not always possible. And I'm not saying that once you're married, they should be kind of uh, in, in, in the driving seat as far as your marriage is concerned. But when it comes to you being married, you know what? They know a thing or two about you. Did you know that? My father knew much more about me than I thought he did. I'm, you know, <clears throat> here's the reality. It took me about 20 years to catch up on all that my father knew. Now, he wasn't even saved, but he was just, he'd been around a long time. He'd watched me a long time. And he could throw these bites of wisdom out to me. And, of course, I would shrug them off, <clears throat> rebellious pup that I was. But you know what? 20 years later, I'm coming to realize, oh, you know what? He was dead right there. He knew it's, it's absolute folly for you to go into marriage and just say, I don't care what they say. You need the agreement of parents. You need the protection of that authority. That's not putting you under a burden. That's not dragging you back into the uh, dark ages. That's you understanding, you know what? I need them to actually get involved in this. I need them to help me with this. I need their help and their guidance. I would not go ahead with marriage apart from both sets of parents being okay with it. He said, man, pastor, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty, pretty hard. I'm telling you, it's that important. You know, if there's a check mark for the parents, you know, I would say, okay, well, let's, let's hold back here and, let, and let's see how, what happens because you, you don't want to do something where you're going to override what your parents are saying in the situation. You just don't want to do it. I remember Brian Hoffman, uh, <clears throat> you know, Brian um, <clears throat> phoned Kate's dad and wanted, wanted to start a relationship between, uh, <clears throat> between him and Kate, because they knew each other from college, and, and he wanted to start a relationship between him and Kate. And Kate's dad said, call me back in a year. Can you imagine? Here the guy has built up all his courage, he's ready to go, and call me back in a year. So Brian, Mr. Go-Getter, Mr. Make it, make it Happen, has to wait for a whole year before he can phone again. And, you know, the history, the history of the, was that the father said yes at that point, and, and she was ready, he reckoned, and, and uh, they're married together and have children together. But, you know, the, the, the thought is this, that he knew he couldn't just go ahead without dad being involved in it. That's very wise. That's very wise. You know, before you get yourself involved in a relationship... Make sure your parents are agree. Now, it's interesting. Different cultures are different. I think in the Nigerian culture, this is what I'm saying is, well, of course. Uh, how could your parents not be involved in it? Uh, but when it comes to Irish culture, we're, we're past that. And listen, you need to 
bring it back. It's important. You say, well, my parents are unsaved. They wouldn't understand. You know what? Listen, you'd be amazed how much they understand. You'd be amazed at how much they know. You'd be amazed at how much they want your good. You may have given them murder. You may have given them trouble. You may have broken their hearts, and there may have been war between you. But you know what? God builds into parents a desire to see their children do well, and they want your good. And you'll be amazed that when you go to them humbly that they actually want your good, they want your blessing, and they're going to give you some helpful advice uh, when it comes to it. It's a key issue. It's not a small thing. It needs to have the blessing of parents. Thirdly, marriage is about work. And you say, what? Marriage is about work. You see, this relationship that you enter into as far as marriage is concerned, it's not something that's, you know, uh, like um, Hollywood would portray. In other words, the idea, uh, they got married and they lived happily ever after on flowery beds of ease. Now, there's, there's a huge amount of, uh, of false propaganda that goes out about marriage. Right? There's, there's that side of it, and then there's the other side of it. It's, oh, marriage is just tough, it's hard, you know, it's, it's difficult, it's just grim, you just bear it and work your way through it. Neither are true. Right? Because God formed marriage and God said it was good. Right? But what you've got to understand is that the love that starts a marriage is not what keeps a marriage going. That's why Hollywood and all the romance it portrays doesn't work. Because it's all based upon how people feel. Right? And they feel passionate, powerful love. Therefore, everything's good and everything's in shape and everything. No, it's not. That stage of it will pass. And what you're going to do is you're going to forge a life together. Let me read you Malachi chapter uh, 2. This is God speaking. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. What's God saying? God is saying is, listen, he has a plan and purpose for marriage. And the plan and purpose God has for marriage is that he might have a godly seed. That you might produce a godly seed. That you might actually produce children that are going to be a blessing to him that he might be able to use. That's his purpose and his focus as far as marriage. So God has a plan for your marriage. So listen, we tend to come together in marriage based upon wanting to be happy ever after. But God has a much deeper plan. God wants you to produce a seed that are going to bless him. God wants you to produce uh, godly children. Uh, he has a plan. He has a purpose. And so when it comes to marriage, there's much more than the feelings of love, important as they are involved in it. There's a lifetime of working together. There's companionship. There's all those things that you're going to work together at for a lifetime. Now, if you let the feelings of love drive it, typically you forget about all the rest of it. Listen, the girl who's marrying a man needs to look at that guy and say, you know what, he can actually produce the goods and make a living for me. He say, man, that, that, that's very hard. No, that's very realistic. Woman needs a man that's going to put bread on the table. That's just what she needs. She needs a man who's going to put bread on the table. Man, you have no right to get married if you can't put bread on the table. That's your job. You're supposed to put bread on the table. You're supposed to take care of your family and you're supposed to feed them. That's just the, the, the way it is. That's your job. That's what you're, what you're supposed to do. <clears throat> You know, a wife should be willing and able to do the business of keeping a home. You say, that's old-fashioned. Listen, you may work, but how many of you ladies work and you still have to keep a home anyway? You know what? Uh, Fairies don't come in and keep your home because you're working. (coughs) Uh, You've got to do the business of keeping a home. 
and looking after children and all of those things. Is it reasonable for, for a man to look at a woman and say, you know, I, I, I want a woman who can do the business? Is it reasonable for a woman to look at a man and say, I want a man that can do the business, that can actually earn a living? Very reasonable. Remember the olden days, <clears throat> you know, when somebody would go to, to, uh, to, to the father of the prospective bride and say, I, I, I want to marry your daughter. What was the first question that would come off dad's, lip, dad's lips? Okay, what are your means? <laughs> how, how are you going to look after my daughter? Uh, you know, listen, that's a key issue. And that's a very practical, practical, but some of the issues of marriage are just very very practical. We get lost in the, uh, in, in the other issues, but it's very, very practical. Listen, can you do the business of being married and actually raising a family and all the rest? And listen, understand that where you're going to join and where you're going to grow and where you're going to grow that companionship that is what you wanted in the first place is by doing the business of living and working together. That's where it grows. That's where it comes from. There's got to be that, that focusing on we're going to do the business. We're going to actually do, uh, do this. And you join on that. I think I've told you before uh, about, about the man who was going into missions in China. And he, he asked his prospective bride, will you join your life with mine for China? Not the most romantic uh, proposal you've ever had, but a very real proposal. And very romantic if you understand that, listen, that makes God the center of it all. Because when you get married, what you're doing is you're marrying somebody who's going to help you and walk with you in your walk with God. Who's going to help you, men, to be all that you can be. A woman that's going to get behind you and help you to be all that you can be as far as God is concerned. And ladies, a man that's going to come in and take care of you and protect you and allow you to grow and walk with the Lord and be involved in ministry too. You see, that's the issue. That's what's happening here. It's not just about us feeling happy and having a nice time. Feeling happy and having a nice time is always found in doing the will of God. You think things through and you actually do it the way God wants you to do. You know what? You're going to have happiness and blessing in your life. You just go off on this selfish bend of, oh, I found somebody who's going to love me forever and ever. And you know what? You're, you're in for trouble. You understand <clears throat> God has a plan for it. Uh, marriage is about work. It's about working at this relationship. And then, <clears throat> we need to say this, that marriage is about love. There must be love involved in the marriage. There must be love involved in it. <clears throat> don't, don't let's consider that, you know, well, listen, it's just a working relationship. No, it's not just a working relationship. You know, two things God tells us in the Bible that men and women need. Women need to what? What does the Bible say that women need to be in a, in a marriage relationship? Woman needs to be loved. That's what, that's what God tells us. Listen, Hollywood, psychology, philosophy, nobody knows better than God. A woman needs to be loved. Ladies, you need to recognize that about yourself. You, de- you want to be loved. Right? What does a man need to be? What does the Bible say? He needs to be respected. He needs to be reverenced. That's what the Bible says. Man, listen, you can, you can say, no, I'm okay. I can manage without it. No, listen, God said it. He knows. You know, when it comes to the marriage relationship, those things have to be real in the marriage. Those things have to be, <clears throat> be right. There should be just that reality. Uh, there has to be a commitment. It's much, much deeper than feelings. There's a covenant involved in it, but there has to be that reality of a love relationship. Uh, Meyer says this. He says, no two should marry unless each feels that life without the other would be incomplete. 
Less than this will never suffice. If one loves and not the other, there cannot be true happiness. For there is no reciprocity, no mutual satisfaction. To give without receiving is to run to waste. To take without giving is to harden the heart until it becomes ice. Now, Jacob's home demonstrates both of these. You know, did, did Jacob provide for Leah? Well, of course he did. Did he look after her? Did he care for her? Well, of course he did. Uh, she gave him six children. Right? You know, they were married. But did he love her? No. Did she know it? Yes. She knew she wasn't loved in this relationship. She knew she was second best. You know, and she was not happy. And, you know, she never got to be happy about it. She never got to the place where she was happy about it. Now, the, the relationship with Rachel is completely different. He loves her and she feels loved. And listen, uh, it's got that right. But you know, uh, it wasn't there as far as Leah's concerned. By the way, let me just throw this in. God never planned for uh, polygamy, for two people to be married to, to one man. God never planned for that. It was always uh, the twain shall be one flesh, two becoming one. Uh, it, it was never half a dozen becoming one. That was, that was never the plan. It was two becoming one. Always was God's picture. And everywhere you find polygamy in the Bible, you find an aberration and you find all kinds of trouble. All kinds of difficulties. Not that God ever condoned it or, or said it was okay. But, <clears throat> but you see, uh, there needs to be that love relationship. That's, that's real. That's put there by God. You know, <clears throat> don't just do it because you want to have somebody. There needs to be the love relationship. Ladies, if you're going to marry a man, you need to be able to look at that guy and say, you know, listen, this guy I will follow. This guy is a good guy. I'm, I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to go wherever he goes. I'm willing to trust him and depend upon him because that's what you're putting yourself into biblically. And you know, when you marry a girl, you need to look at her and say, I'm going to love her. It's not going to be an effort on me to love her and, and to take care of her and give myself for her because I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church. That needs to be because that's what's required in the marriage relationship. That's what's needed in the marriage relationship. Uh, you know, we need to understand that, that there has to be those four elements in the marriage. It has to be in the Lord. Don't even look at somebody if they're not saved. They're not for you. If you're saved and they're not saved, it's not for you. Don't, don't even look at them. Uh, you know, and it needs to be with the blessing of parents. There needs to be that parents are blessing at the saying, yeah, this is, this, is, uh, this is good. We see this. And you need to recognize it's not about the transitory feelings of the moment. It's about a lifetime working together at something. You know, that you're, <clears throat> what you've got together is, is, is a partnership in life together serving God. You understand that. Listen, lots of lovely feelings to go with them. But they're not the main drive of it. And there needs to be that love relationship that is, that's real. That you can look at this person and you can actually say, you know what, listen, <clears throat> uh, I, I want this. I want this. Uh, Jacob wanted Rachel so bad, he was willing to work for 14 years for her. Now, girls, I don't, I don't say that you should try that. That you should ask some guy, is he willing to work 14 years to get your hand, right? Because you might be waiting a long time. But listen, uh, this guy wanted this relationship. He really wanted it. And she knew it and he knew it. Right? Now, in some closing words. Let me just <clears throat> throw some things out here. First of all, are you single? Well, if God has called you to be single for now, enjoy the blessing of your position. Just enjoy it. You know, <clears throat> everybody who's single wants to be married, and half the people who are married want to be single again, right? <clears throat> now, understand this. The place where God has put you today is the place. It's a good place to be. If God has you single for now, listen, enjoy. Stop bellyaching about the fact that you're not married. 
and just enjoy the fact that you're single. Uh, don't wait until you're married to serve him. <clears throat> Do it now. Serve him now. Listen, if you're not married, what that means is that means that you're free to give yourself to the Lord. You're free to give yourself to the Lord <clears throat> a whole lot more. Give yourself to him. Give yourself to the Lord uh, for this time being, <clears throat> for the time being, you know. Listen, don't carry your emotions. Uh, don't trail them. Like Mayor was saying, don't be in the place where you're looking at everybody and say, oh, I wonder. Oh, I wonder. You know, you can, you can end up with so many broken relationships that have never been relationships. Because your heart's going out all the time. Don't do that one. Listen, he's God able to meet your need. Well, he's able to take care of my eternal need and take me to a heaven I've never seen and save a soul I've never seen. But a marriage partner? That's something I have to make happen for myself. You make it happen for yourself at your peril. Listen, you need to look to the Lord in it. You need to wait on it. Don't, 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 um, don't, don't be on the lookout, on the hunt. You're likely to get in a lot of trouble. And let me say this to stay pure. You know, Jacob was a rascal. He was a trickster. He was, listen, he was up to everything you could be up to. But do you know that when he married Leah and they gave him Leah that night, he had no idea that it wasn't Rachel. He didn't have any, he had had no physical contact with her at all. He had no, listen, he was pure going into that marriage. You need to be pure going into your marriage. You may look back at your life and say, well, listen, that's long gone. You know, listen, purity can start today. But you need to be pure. And, you know, let me say this, that if you're single and you're not pure and you go into your marriage and, listen, you've been playing the field and you've been going, listen, it's going to dog your relationship. If you're not pure, get pure. Get pure. Right? Come to the place where you're walking right before God. Nobody, biblically, has the right to a physical relationship apart from marriage. Nobody. Girls, listen, don't, listen don't, don't give in to anybody who's pushing you. You need a ring. You need somebody who says, I'm going to love you through thick and thin and stay with you before you give yourself. That's just the way it is. You need to be pure going into marriage. All right. <clears throat> Secondly, are you married but disappointed? Leah was disappointed, wasn't she? Yeah, she was married. She got the man. She was probably involved with her dad in, in the scheming that got her this man. But you know what? It wasn't what she wanted. Right? <clears throat> so she was disappointed. But do you know <clears throat> that God blessed Leah? She wasn't happy in her marriage and she wasn't going to get happy in it, but God was able to bless her and take care of her. Listen, if you're in a position where, you know, it's not what you thought it was going to be, it's not really what you want, God's able to take care of you. God's able to bless you. You need to just look to him. And you know, God's able to make it better. You just focus on being the best husband and the best wife you can be. No matter what your situation is. <laughs> and invite God into the situation and see what he's going to do in the situation. Because God can change your situation. But even if he doesn't change it, you know what? He can take care of you. And you can just look to him and he will take care of you in the relationship. And he will look after you. Uh, and he will be your husband. He will take care of you. Are you happily married? <clears throat> Remember that all you have is God's. Don't get proud about it. And, and don't let your blessing be something that takes your focus off the Lord. Do you know that God never wants it to be that because we're married and because we're happy in our marriages that, you know, our eyes come off him. He's to be the first love of our lives. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're to love him with all that's in us. 
Don't allow marriage to take your eyes off him. Oftentimes people do. You see people serving God and they're, listen, they're all out for God and they're serving God and God brings uh, <clears throat> that husband, that wife into their lives and all of a sudden their focus is somewhere else and they're not serving God anymore. No, their focus is on the blessing and not the giver of blessings. Listen, don't do that one. Don't let, let that one happen in your life. Uh, number four, have you be, become a believer since you were married and your spouse is unsaved? That's a tough place to be. You, know, you get married and re- all of a sudden you realize, listen, your spouse uh, is unsaved. Don't seek to get out of that relationship. Let me tell you what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians seven thirteen. And the woman which has a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Listen, you don't seek to get out of that relationship. You don't say, oh, well, you know what? That happened before I was saved. Therefore, it wasn't the will of God. Therefore, I can get out of it. No. Listen, that's God's plan for your life. See, marriage is, <clears throat> is a, uh, an irrevocable covenant. It's a covenant where you agree uh, to, 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 <clears throat> to live with somebody, to love them, to take care of them, till death us do part. It's an irrevocable covenant. You need to make sure that you keep your covenant. And God can take care of you in that. You know, and husbands can get saved after their wives get saved. You know, First Peter chapter 3 tells you how. By your life. Live it before them. Live the life before them. And, and let that draw, uh, draw them to you. But here we are. <clears throat> Jacob's marriage. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we look at the situation and it's, it's a mess. Everything about Jacob is a mess. But you know what? <clears throat> we can learn from it. There are principles that need to be applied as far as marriage is concerned. First principle is don't let your heart be the driving force in it. Don't let your feelings be the driving force in it. Just don't let that happen. That's the easiest thing in the world for us to do, and it's a recipe to disaster. Secondly, make sure God's involved in it. Both of you have got to be saved. And both of you have got to have a heart as far as serving God is concerned. Make sure the authorities in your life, your parents see it and they say, yeah, this, this looks good to us. Make sure you get a green light there. Don't, go, don't, don't move with a red light there. Right? <clears throat> and understand that marriage relationship is much more than just this love relationship where you're going to be happy forever and ever together. It's a working relationship. Any married couple can tell you. As soon as a child comes into the marriage, everything changes. Uh, listen, it is without doubt like dynamite going off in your home when a child comes in because the focus of everything in that home becomes that child. And all that you had planned to do and everything else, and, you know, listen, all of it gets focused on this little one. And, you know, it takes 20 to 30 years to raise a family. Do you realize that? <laughs> and that's, that's what you're going to do together for most of your life. You're going to raise a family together. From the beginning, understand that. Yes, you want to be married. Yes, you want to be happy. Yes, you want companionship. But you're going to work together. You need to be ready and able for the work, and the other person needs to be ready and able for the work too. And you work together at this marriage relationship. And you know what? The Bible said God created everything, including marriage, and he said it was good. And marriage is the relationship ordained of God. It's a good thing. If God wants you to be married, listen, it's a good thing. If you're married and you're not even entirely happy with it, listen, get happy with it because it's what God is doing in your life. It's a good thing. It's a blessed thing. God uses it to bless the world. <clears throat> but we've got to understand, over all of it, there's God. There's God. If he wants you to be single, rejoice. 
great to be single. That's what God wants for you. If he wants you to be married, listen, rejoice. That's great. But understand there's realities involved in it. And if you've gotten uh, saved since you got married, you know what? You can take some of those principles and you can put them into your marriage. You can begin to work on them. And God can take and God can bless. Where two people, two believers, surrender to the Lord, live in the same home together. Listen, you can make it good. You can make it good if you'll just look to the Lord and let him work it out in your heart and your life. So let's understand, it's about God. And let's do it his way. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask you to bless us now, Lord. And Lord, a group of people here today that are not married, that are not uh, in that place where they are yet, but Lord, would you bless them? Would you give each one of them a heart and a wisdom to follow your plan and follow your way? And Lord, I pray for those that are married, Lord, and perhaps... not happy in it. Lord, would you bless them? Would you help them to look to you and to understand that you can bless and that you can bring happiness and you can bring joy in the relationship. And Lord, for those that are happily married, Lord, would you bless them and help them to see, Lord, that uh, it's not just about them being happy, that uh, their, their first love needs to be you and that, Lord, everything else uh, comes unglued when they, when they lose that. But Lord, would you bless this church, Lord, and would you uh, use us for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, may the children that are up in junior church now, Lord, may they be a uh, a pleasure and a blessing and a sweet savor to you. And Lord, may you achieve from our marriages that which you want. And Lord, to you be the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.